honor God by the reading of his word, starting at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Tony, you'll come forward. Tony will be preaching for us today, and I will pray with you. Father, Lord, again, bless my brother Tony today as he brings your word. Um, um, let him be bold and powerful and kind and, and, and all those things that, that you want your preachers to be, Lord. Let us all be open, our hearts soft and ready to hear, um, know, understand, and um, allow your word um, to, to sink not only into our hearts but to permeate our lives, Lord. We pray this morning in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Anybody here ever mess up really bad? I've got a few people willing to say yes. Um, could you make sure I'm not coming through the monitors? I'm hearing a ring. Thanks, brother. Um, whenever you mess up really bad, or you drop the ball on something at work or at home, um, if you're anything like me, you just kind of want to like crawl in a closet and have everybody forget you exist. You, you replay the event in your mind. Like if, I, if, if time travel only existed and I could go back and change. Um, making mistakes uh, and knowing that you made a mistake can be one of the few things in our life that, that really shakes us to the core of our identity. We don't like the feeling of making mistakes. The truth is we can't escape them. We can't go back in time. Um, we can't just crawl in a closet and avoid the world forever. We have to come back out. And oftentimes, um, we'll use this phrase. We'll say something like, I really need a second chance. Anybody ever been there? needed a second chance. And so there's this cliche within the church about second chances. We say it often, uh, if you look at the church at large, there's this idea that our God is a God of second chances. That spiritually we all mess up, we all sin, we all drop the ball repeatedly and often. But good news, the God we serve is a God of second chances. We don't have to hide from him. He loves us. But what does it mean when we say that our God is a God of second chances? How does that work exactly? Um, how, how, do we, how do we go to him and get a second chance? As we dig in um, to the word today, um, this is going to be a much more classic Baptist sermon. We got three points this week. We're going to go through three points. If, in, for those of you who are traditional Baptists, enjoy it this week. It won't happen again for a while. We're, we're going to go through three points that correspond to our three verses and look at the idea of our God being a God of second chances. So this is the first point. When God gives second chances, he gives new beginnings. When God gives second chances, 
He doesn't just give a mere second chance. He gives a new beginning. Let's look at the word. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, dot, dot, dot. This verse is a, almost a word-for-word repeat of Jonah 1.1. We have the same phrase. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's how the book opens. It's how it starts. It's what launches the story. The only difference is, is that in verse 1.1, we have uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Whereas here we have the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. In a very real sense, now that we're a little more than halfway through the book, the book is starting over. The story is beginning again. The book opened with a command from God to Jonah to do a certain thing. Instead of doing the thing that God called him to do, he ran off to the ends of the earth to get away from God. He abandoned his relationship, but God pursued him, chased him down. Eventually, after Jonah went through being swallowed by a fish in the ocean and came to repentance, God starts his story over. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time. In a very real sense, Jonah sees restoration in this. He'd received the word of the Lord originally. He denied it. But here it is again. A second chance. A new beginning to the story. I don't want us to stumble on the idea that of what, what a second chance from God looks like. Whenever I say that a second chance from God is more than just a mere second chance, that it's a new beginning, I'm, I'm speaking of that over in contrast against other ideas. Um, so first off, like second chances are not like a demerit system. Did, did many of you have a demerit system in your school whenever you were in school? Apparently they don't do that anymore. Um, in my school, in elementary school, um, it, it basically worked like this. Three strikes, you're out. Every strike was called a demerit. Every student was told you get three of them. If you mess up so bad um, that it, it's a serious offense, you're going to get a demerit. And after three of them, you got suspended, and your parents would get very upset because they'd have to figure out what to do with you for a couple of weeks because you weren't allowed back in school. Um, some of you maybe think of baseball, right? Batter comes up to the bat. He gets three swings, and if he fails on all three, he's done. Second chances that God gives is not like a demerit system with a set number of strikes, as if God is sitting up in heaven looking down at us thinking, I'm going to give you three chances. And if you, if you use up your three chances, I'm done with you. I'll find someone else. That's not the kind of second chances that God gives. Um, 
We're going to have a verse come up on the, on the board out of Matthew chapter 18. Um, hear, hear these words um, from Matthew. It says, Then Peter came and said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So in context here, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples a lesson about forgiveness. And his goal for them is not just that they become more forgiving, but they in their hearts begin to reflect who God is. And so in the surrounding verses, he ties one man's forgiveness towards another man directly to the heart of God and the type of forgiveness that God has for his people. And so it's a scary thing to think, oh, I'm going to have to forgive someone over and over if they sin against me over and over. And so Peter asks the question, right, how many times? Is that, that a good question for us? Anybody ever been sinned against here? Someone done something bad to you? I mean, you want to cut them off after a little bit, right? And so Peter says, as many as seven times? And that sounds really gracious, doesn't it? Think about it. If you're a spouse, it's the first year of marriage, your spouse goes on a tirade against you, cusses you up and down. That damages the relationship, right? I mean, if you think of it like, you know, you moved, you know, you moved the spice rack to somewhere else in the kitchen, like that, that seems minor. Of course, we'll, we'll forgive you seven times, you know, seven times. But whenever we think about real sin, real harmful sin, seven times already seems gracious, right? And yet Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. The idea here is that if we're going to imitate God's forgiveness, we have to imitate a forgiveness that's inexhaustible. It doesn't run out. 77 times, or some of your translations might say 70 times 7, is meant to just be a massive number that would make you think, how is this even possible as a human to just keep forgiving someone over and over and yet that's how God forgives his people over and over and over countless times, countless times. And so whenever God gives us a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance or a 77th chance, it's not like the demerit system where he's just waiting you to fill out the chart and then he's done with you. His second chances are also not like a probationary system. Do you guys understand probation? That's like whenever, uh, <laughs> as a child, you do something wrong in the home, and your, your parent looks at you and says, you're on thin ice. You better watch it. Like You're on probation. Maybe you made a mistake, but if you make another mistake, the consequences are coming. The hammer's going to come down. God's second chances are not like a probationary system where you mess up once 
and now he watches you extra close. Like he puts the telescope right on you, looking for whatever little thing that you'll do wrong. That's not his heart. We can see hints of this throughout the Bible, um, but one of the most beautiful passages that talk about it is in Psalm 103. Again, this should come up on the screen. So Psalm 103, starting in verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Hear me on this, Chorus. If we're his children, if we are God's children, then we are not on thin ice. If we face danger at all in our life, if we face consequences at all in our life as God's children, we face them because of our own faults, because of our own continued disobedience, not because he has a posture that's set against us. Does that make sense? So the consequences that we experience after he continually forgives us is not because he somehow sees us as deserving increased pressure. When God gives second chances... He gives new beginnings. And that's what we see in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. It's a new beginning for Jonah. We're starting the story over. He's been shown grace. Point two. When God gives second chances, he also gives directions. So when God gives second chances, he doesn't leave us (laughs) on our own in kind of this vague place where we don't know what to do next. When he gives second chances, he gives directions. We see this in verse 2. It says this, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, And call out against it the message that I will tell you. So again, what comes to Jonah is the word. We saw that in verse 1. It's not a feeling. It's not a sense of wellness. It's a specific word. And so as Jonah is restored in his relationship to God, he's given specific instruction from God. There's a special emphasis here on the message that's given to Jonah. God had a word for Jonah, and he also has a word for the Ninevites. Do we see the emphasis? You'll call out against, you'll call out against it 
the message that I will tell you. Specifics. God's relationship with his people, the relationship that he establishes with us, is always a relationship that's marked by the reception of the word. Does that make sense? God doesn't just come down and kind of scoot up close to us and cuddle. That's not the image of, of a relationship with God. No, God, as he establishes a relationship with us, is one who comes to us with a word. He speaks to us. Specifics. We see that originally uh, all the way back to Genesis 1-1 in the garden. As As he goes to Adam and Eve, the first people, and he says, I love you, you're wonderful, don't eat the fruit. Right? You have all these, this work to do, tend the garden, name the animals, but don't eat the fruit. He has a specific word for them. Specifically, don't eat the fruit of a certain tree. They eat the fruit anyway, and he doesn't, he shows them mercy, he doesn't immediately kill them. He comes to them with another word, with, with curses, um, but also blessings and promises that the sin that they committed would be atoned for. But the point is, the relationship between our our first parents, Adam and Eve, and God, is one marked by his word given to them. We see that also with Abraham. Uh, Another man, later on, God comes to him and gives him a word. Go to the place that I will show you. The relationship is based upon the promises that God spoke to Abraham. Again, clearly with Moses, um, on down the line from Abraham, who God gives a word, and a specific word, that comes to be called the law. More promises. The relationship with his people would be based on the word specifics. And then eventually, we see this most clearly in the person of Jesus. The Gospel of John calls Jesus, with a capital W, the Word. The most perfect representation of God's communication to us. He's the perfect Word. And in Him, all of the promises that were given to Adam and Eve and Moses and Abraham and others were fulfilled. So our relationship is based as God's people, on the reception of his word, specifically Jesus. We see this in the church through the teaching of the gospel. We need to receive Christ. You guys have heard that terminology, right? We need to receive him. He's the perfect word about who God is, what God expects, and how God saves us. In our sin, we deserve judgment. And yet our God is a God of second chances. And so in order to put away our sin, in order to cast it as far as the east is from the west, he sends Christ, who's a perfect sacrifice. Christ literally absorbs the wrath of God that should be on us. 
so that instead of receiving wrath, we can receive love and reconciliation if we would just believe and trust in him. And so today, we receive the word by receiving Christ, by becoming his disciples, by being trained in what it is to follow him, specifically through the teaching of the apostles. Um, So what is it that I'm doing right now? I'm preaching the word, specifically words about him. Here, this out of 2 Timothy. We actually looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, um, but I want to read it again. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So today, as we walk in a relationship with God, we have a specific word. We don't do so vaguely. In the teaching that's given to us, handed down by the apostles, the scripture that is breathed out by God, we know how to follow him. Hear this. While God's mercy is new every morning, just as we talked about Again, a few weeks ago out of Lamentations. While his mercies are new every morning, it's not new so that we can just step into the same traps over and over and over again. He gives us grace, but he also gives us direction. His second chances always come with direction. Third point. When God gives second chances... We must follow through with obedience. You hear me on that? When God gives us a new beginning, it is on us to follow through in obedience to the word, the direction that he gives us. Verse 3 out of Jonah, chapter 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. So Jonah finally wakes up. He finally arises after being called out to by God and the sailors again and again. He finally gets up in order to obey the Lord. He realized his mistake. He realized the suffering that comes from separation from God. And so now he was ready to move forward. He heard the direction given to him, go to Nineveh, and even though he hated the Ninevites, even though he wanted nothing to do with them, as we saw in previous verses, he still obeyed. Restoration of relationship with God results in an increased obedience of God's word. 
Do you hear me on that? When God restores us, when he works in us, and he brings us to repentance so that we can cry out, Lord, save me, in a very real sense, it will result in increased obedience of God's word. Now, to those of us uh, who are holy, where we look at ourselves as holy and doing well, we may cheer on this, right? You tell them, preacher, if you love Jesus, you're going to do the right things, right? We live in a world that's broken and full of sin, and so we would hear this, that people need to obey the word and cheer. Um, but for some of us, this might actually sound terrifying because we know ourselves, right? Like, I know me, I know my sin, I know my mistakes, I know my patterns, I know the things that I mess up in over and over and over. And so to hear the idea that the Word of God teaches obedience required of people who are forgiven might sound terrifying. Because what does that mean for me? When I find it so hard to be obedient. I know what the word says, but I don't like it. Or I just can't seem to get my act together. So this is where we come upon a really hard teaching. We'll read a couple more sections of scripture about it. The first one is in 1 John chapter 1. We'll go into chapter 2, but starting in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation uh, for our sins. That means he absorbs the wrath of God for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. This is a hard section of scripture. I'll preface this by saying that the Apostle John wrote these words to Christians, to a church. And he tells Christians that if you say you've not sinned, if you claim that you're not a sinner anymore, that you're making God out to be a liar because he knows different, Right? And so he establishes that everyone is a sinner. 
everyone. But then he, he basically says this, sinners are really, they really are called to stop sinning. Right, we saw that? And then he turns around and he says, we do that by following God's commandments and, and that if we say, what is it, we say, I know him, I belong to Jesus, but we don't keep his commandments, we're liars. And so there's this tension here of the truth that we're sinners and yet we can't stay there. We can't live in that. We have to open ourselves to his word, to his commandments, to, to how he tells us we should live. That we should respond to his grace with an increased desire to obey him, to do what he says. And so we see a loop here, a loop of sin and then repentance and then growth. Sin, repentance, growth. And verse 1, as we read it, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. We see that this hard teaching comes to us to challenge us. It's meant to frighten us a little bit. To make us wonder what's the status of my heart am i am i truly walking with faithfulness towards the god that i claim to follow am i living in the grace of god not just claiming his name so that i can fit into a group of people or that so i can feel good about where i may go or might not go in eternity but am i am i responding to the gospel out of a heart of love and worship. These verses are meant to challenge us and to frighten us and to spur us on towards repentance. Um, this week in my MC, we're going through the books, book of uh, Philippians, and we came across a similar idea. I'm going to read to you the appropriate verse out of there. Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see it there? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you are in him, if you've been saved, then work that out with the, the appropriate attitude. Knowing that, that God saved you for a reason. And then there's the reassurance that I read in verse 13. It says, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're not alone in our efforts to try to pursue him. God doesn't just want to give us second chances. Hear me on this. God doesn't just want to give us new beginnings. He wants to heal our souls. He wants to change our desires. 
he seeks relationship with us where he'll work on us and then we'll increasingly respond to his work in us with obedience and where one day that work will be complete when we stand before him with him and are made perfect. Our God is a God of second chances, but he is so much more than that. Jonah received a second chance. He received a new beginning, and in the coming weeks, we'll investigate more and more how that resulted for him and how that resulted for the Ninevites. Um, but for us, I want to finish um, with a few questions. Have any of you been running from God? You're far from him and you're in a place right now where spiritually you need a second chance? You need a new beginning? The message to you is the same that it's been for everyone. Come home. God loves you. Jesus died for you. There is no reason for you to continue hiding from God or running from him. Receive Christ. Open your heart to him. Believe that what he did was for you. Trust him for salvation. He'll give you a second chance. You may, you may wonder, could God give me a second chance? He will. And he'll give you so much more than that. Maybe you're in a place where you have experienced grace. You feel like that you've been given a new start, a new beginning, a second chance, but you feel directionless. You don't know where you go next. Then I would say to you, there is direction in God's word. We have it, and if you don't have one, take one of ours. Like, God speaks here to us. Every issue of sin that we could begin to approach is covered by his word. There's direction for the directionless. And hear me on this, if you've experienced grace, if you've, you've received a new beginning and you've, you've been in the word, you've been listening to preaching, you've, you've, you understand what God wants you to do, you have direction, but you've not yet obeyed. Friends, don't hesitate. If there's something this week that you know you need to do, or you need to stop doing, then I urge you, like, pursue the Lord, ask him for grace, Talk to a brother and sister in Christ. Say, help me. There is defeat over sin available in Christ. Don't hesitate. Don't keep going back again and again to your sin. Like right now, today could be a moment of change. You don't have to live there anymore. There's grace for you. There's grace for all of us. Would you pray with me?